It is time for the New Hampshire News Recap. We're getting into this week's top headlines while we're on the road here. Now, we're in the final stretch ahead of Election Day, of course. NHPR has been reaching out to voters uh, during this election season to try to understand what's on their minds and what questions voters have before heading to the polls on Tuesday. And the Keene Sentinel has also been working to connect with voters in the Monadnock region. James Rinker is the Sentinel's digital community engagement journalist, and he joins us now at the table to talk about what he's been hearing from voters. Good morning, James. Good morning, Rick. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much for getting up early and and coming in today. James, tell us about how you have been been working with your colleagues over at the Sentinel to, to connect with voters here in the region. Yeah, of course. So first and foremost, what we've been doing is we continue an effort from 2020. Uh, We installed a survey called Voter Values, and we reinstated that uh, called Citizens Agenda because we felt that it was important to have voters' voices in our reporting and learning from candidates. And so what we did was from mid-July to mid-October, conducted a survey, print online, social media, and even a physical Dropbox location for those without reliable access to the internet to tell us what's important for them, and especially, specifically, what's important for them in different races. So we had New Hampshire Senate and House, Governor, and U.S. Congress as those three kind of categories for voters to identify issues of importance to them. Sure, try to narrow it down to three things you can really get into detail with. So what are you hearing from those voters? What are they telling you? Yeah, so throughout that, uh, after analyzing the data, we found that of survey respondents, the environment, healthcare, and reproductive rights all separately were issues of importance. Um, And digging deeper into those, we found that voters cared about climate change and what specifically our governor candidates are going to do to combat plastics, for example. And we also found healthcare, specifically with mental health access in the state of New Hampshire, and reproductive rights. This survey was launched post uh, the uh, Roe v. Wade, um, and so from there, that was definitely a hot topic on voters' minds, mm-hmm. and it still was looking at the data from July to October. Could you get a sense of, of the importance of those issues? What was number one, number two? What you know, were there a lot of one-issue voters here, or is it something that you know, uh, several issues were on their mind here? Several issues were definitely all on their minds. Um, collectively, uh, across the board of those three categories, we found that those three topics, environment, healthcare, and reproductive rights, were a top issue across the board mm-hmm. um, for all the races. Uh, but specifically, uh, through the citizens' agenda, um, and we made a graph for it. You can find that at sentinelsource.com slash vote, with, along with the rest of our elections coverage. You can see the breakdown, such as uh, with governor, healthcare was a little bit above um, reproductive rights. It's in for some people in the U.S. Congress race, it was reproductive rights, then health care um, okay. in that yep. top three. So it shifted a little. So voters are thinking about these issues, but they're thinking about them in different ways, in different races. Yes. Okay. I want to bring in NHPR's Josh Rogers, our senior political reporter. He's with us on the road today at Keene State. Josh, you've been out on the campaign trail talking with voters. What are you hearing from, from people in the, this, this final few days? Well, as in most things, it kind of depends on who you're talking to. Um, the rank partisans in both parties are making the sort of expected noises uh, as we get close to voting. But but I can say I've also heard a good deal from um, people, you know, what I'd characterize it as at a minimum being concern and in some cases real despair over the state of our politics, how divided people are. Um, you know, that sentiment's always existed, but plenty of voters, I've been speaking to feel ill-served by our politics broadly and, in you know, po- politicians in both parties. And 
you know, have real doubts about um, how competent the government can be. So you feel, you're feeling even voters at campaign events who are there for that candidate are feeling some despair. Um, I, I would say so. And, and some people are going out there sort of kicking the tires still. I mean, it's, it's you know, uh, like I have to do this for a living. But for a lot of voters, you know, this is the real uh, sort of crunch time in terms of discerning who they're going to vote for and, and making their final decisions. Obviously, most people sort of tilt one way or the other ultimately. Sure. But, but there are plenty of people who are just getting up to speed, particularly in the down ballot races. I know we have some some voter tape here, some tape that you've collected out on the campaign trail in the past few days. Let, Brace let's, yourself. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit of that. What happened to by the people and for the people? They're not in there for that anymore. They're in there for the money. And and I hear a lot of people talk about things they want to do, things they want to get. But when they get in there, if they get in there, nothing's ever done. Is that a general sentiment that you've been hearing, Josh? I mean, that, was, that, 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 that woman was uh, somebody who was dining at the, at the Red Arrow Diner when Maggie Hassel was, was going through. And she, mm-hmm. her personal circumstances are pretty tough. She uh, doesn't have a good place to live and is living out of a motel in Manchester. But um, certainly frustration with government, um, you know, the current economic circumstances of the country and the, the way inflation is hitting people certainly informs that. But, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, when you look at, you know, we went from President Trump to President Biden, um, and, you know, people, uh, I've talked to plenty of people who felt that they thought that Joe Biden was going to bring the country together, um, and they're not wild about where we are now. Now, I know many people are, are deeply skeptical of, of news organizations on the national and the local level. James, I want to ask you how your newsroom at the Sentinel is, is engaging people, working to build trust with people. You talked about the survey, but do you find it harder to talk to people? Are people more resistant to, to discussing how they're feeling? Yeah, so we uh, have seen a lot of mistrust in just our organization in regards to polarization. Mm. Um, a lot of people feel that news is biased towards um specifically left-leaning. And so what we've been trying to do is talk with voters who are conservative and independent um, and just digging deep of why do they think this way. A big part of my job, as well as working with our executive editor for digital, Cecily Weisberg, has been partnering with Trusting News, a nonprofit um, organization that works with newsrooms across the country to provide assistance and coaching and mentoring on how can we instill trust in local news. And specifically, uh, they'd put on a project um, that had newsrooms across the country specifically talk to voters who identified themselves as more right-leaning, conservative, and independent, and just talk about why they felt that way. And we are still doing that at the Sentinel today. My job, uh, my door is metaphorically always open um, in taking in input from voters and from community members and just how can we do better? Mm-hmm. Do you find the sentiment, though, being a, a local journalist, it's easier to talk to people in your community rather than this this idea for from a, from a lot of I think right leaning uh, voters that might think of the media as a monolith. Mm-hmm. You know, this the, they think of the national media. Do they? You think you can int- instill some trust as a local journalist that maybe a national media organization couldn't? I feel absolutely, um, especially in my position um, as someone who also grew up in this region. I'm a familiar face to a lot of individuals. And so having someone on staff that is local to this region um, for their entire life um, and being able to talk about them with talk about issues that are important to them and knowing where they're coming from and 
knowing the context behind yeah. where they're coming from. Josh, when you're out on the trail where, and you come across voters who are reluctant to talk, how do you approach that? Well, I, I do what I can. I mean, a good deal of, of covering campaigns and talking to voters is developing a sense of when to cut your losses when you're interviewing someone where it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. if they're... Um, you know, if they're not saying much, if they're skeptical, sometimes downright hostile, uh, certainly I give them a chance to say something. And if the conversation feels like it's going nowhere, you know, it's time to move on. But, I mean, overall, it's pretty basic. Try to yeah. engage with people where they're at, try to get them talking freely, and uh, try not to create the sense that the world is hanging on everything they're going to say, although some people like that sense. Yeah. Um, it's not going to. Um, and... You know, one part of the job, though, is having people come up and saying, oh, you know, you're biased. And oftentimes these people you know, have no familiarity, uh, you know, with me, with anything I've done. Yeah. And um, that's just the reality. I mean, certainly some people who bluster and are agitated once you get past that can be quite good interviews. Yeah. This is Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley sitting here with NHPR's Josh Rogers. We're live from Keene State College. Also talking with the, C the Keene Sentinels, James uh, Richter. We want to hear from you, by the way. You can always let us know what's going on by going to nhpr.org. And you can always uh, email us, voices at nhpr.org. Josh, I want to get an update quickly from um, what's been happening uh, on the campaign trail. Incumbent Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan and her Republican challenger, retired General Don Bullock, met in their final debate on TV this week. We do have some tape of Boldick here on economic policy and Hassan on abortion. Let's hear from, hear from them. All because of her votes, all because she is so tied to Joe Biden that they become one person. Tom Boldick wants to impose an extreme agenda, whether it is eliminating Social Security or enacting a nationwide abortion ban. And his refusal to accept election results thinks, means he thinks he doesn't have to listen to you. So, Josh, how is this race shaping up now? How, how are things as we head into the final stretch? Well, I mean, the polls would indicate it's quite tight, basically a toss-up. Uh, I was with both candidates yesterday. Uh, they're certainly acting that way. Um, Maggie Hassan is sort of stepping up some of her campaign activity out, you know, on the streets. She was with Jean Jean yesterday. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren's coming in today. Don Bolduc had multiple uh, town halls. And he's been campaigning hard for a long time. It mm -hmm. seems to be... Uh, be paying off for him. Um, Republicans feel the winds at their back. And, you know, Hassan has had to contend with voters understandably frustrated by inflation. And she's chosen, you know, a very controlled campaign style where a lot of the events are effectively private. And she's made the case that she was there to try to sort of disqualify Don Bullock on the grounds that he's, uh, quote, too extreme in her estimation. Um, you know, we'll see. And we'll see if Democrats, uh, you know, look back and congratulate themselves on national Democrats on spending a lot of money to make Don Bullock the nominee right. or whether they, they come to regret that. Exactly. Yeah. The race is, as you said, very tight. We'll see what happens come Tuesday. Uh, where does the governor's race stand, Josh? Incumbent Republican Governor uh, uh, Chris Nunu seeking his fourth term, of course. And Democratic State Senator Tom Sherman, his challenger, Snunu, of course, uh, a popular governor. Well, he's a popular governor with a broad swath of, of the electorate. He's certainly well-known. Um, it's rare to go for a fourth term. Um, you know, Tom Sherman, he's a state senator from Rye. He's done what he can to push Sununu on issues, you know, surrounding the abortion law that, that Sununu signed and, you know, on environmental energy policy. Um, but, I mean, this, is a, this, is, this has been an uphill fight from the beginning, and, and it doesn't appear that Sherman's gaining all that much traction. Mm-hmm.
Uh, James, I want to turn to you one last time. James Rinker from the uh, Sentinel. Uh, what projects are you working on and what are you looking at as you head towards Election Day here? Yeah, so going towards Election Day, our reporters will be going uh, to the polls, uh, both to vote and to collect results. Um, I myself will be at the polls just interacting with voters, getting a sense of it's the day of. What, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? Um, and post-elections, kind of having a look forward to the next year and thinking about more projects that we can do. Um, but in the interim, we've pulled our candidate questionnaires from behind our paywall at sentinelsource.com slash vote. So that was something we heard from last election season, and people were really interested in having more content right. that they could know who to vote for. Yeah, um, what the engagement factor. Yeah. Josh, how about you? How, what are you looking for? Uh, looking, what, looking forward to the most, and what's uh, in your purview as we get to Tuesday? Well, if I'd be honest, I would say I'm looking forward to being over. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, certainly, uh, you know, with James, I'm certainly interested to hear what voters say, how they're going to yeah. make up their minds. I mean, we've got a lot of tight races. New Hampshire's going to potentially out play afterwards. a big, big yeah. role in determining sure. the balance of power in Washington. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting there's a to lot, see. a lot for everybody coming forward. Got to leave it there. James Rinker from the Sentinel and our own NHP. Here is Josh Rogers here live from Keene State College. This has been the New Hampshire News Recap, and uh, you can stay with us. We continue broadcasting live today from Keene State College. I'm Rick Ganley. This is Morning Edition from NHPR. You're it very is welcome. It is NHPR's Morning Edition live here on the road. And it's the second part of this week's New Hampshire News Recap. We are continuing to look at the week's top headlines. Of course, we're talking about the election, the midterms coming up on Tuesday. In this election season, NHPR has been reaching out to voters across the state to learn what issues are most important to them as they're heading to the polls Tuesday. Many of our listeners did express concerns about the state of American democracy in general. And joining us now to talk about what the outcome of this election could mean for democracy in the U.S. is Dr. Phil Barker, Associate Professor of Political Science right here at Keene State College. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much for the time. Uh, Josh Rogers, our senior political reporter, also here at the table to talk more about how the state of American democracy has come up on the campaign trail. Hey, Josh. Good to be here, Rick. So let's start with you, Phil. Many of our, voter, uh, our voters wrote into NHPR saying they're concerned about the state of democracy in, in the country. What does the polling show about preserving democracy as an issue among voters nationwide? And what does that mean? Uh, it's kind of interesting, actually. It, it, over the past several months, there's been some fluctuation. Um, if you go back to the January 6th hearings, this, uh, the concern over democracy had kind of risen to the top, but it's sort of faded since then. And what you find now is that it's still on people's minds, but there's an interesting gap that has developed in that it is much more important or much more of concern to Democrats than it is to Republicans. Republicans tend to be much more focused on the economy and other issues like that right mm -hmm. now. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's on people's minds, whether that plays out in the in the in the voting booth next Tuesday. We'll we'll have to see. Right. So you're, you're saying it was a less partisan uh, question back during the January sixth hearings where we were earlier this year. You saw less of a partisan divide on that concern. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, I think the, the the partisan divide still existed, but I, I think the the prominence of some of the discussions mm -hmm. about January sixth and about uh, the issues related to democracy and accepting of election results and, and whatnot had had raised people's awareness. I think as we've gotten into campaign mode, Republican candidates have been able to sort of redirect some focus um, uh, away from that and towards issues that are stronger for Republicans. Sure. And so you see that that gap sort of reemerge as we as we get closer to November. Josh, how is that playing out of the campaign trail here, here in New Hampshire as we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the federal races like the U.S. Senate race? How does how does this talk, this question about the state of American democracy playing out on the trail? Well, it certainly comes up in the context of uh, Don Bullock, the Republican nominees, uh, sort of shifting positions when it comes to 
election denialism. During the primary, he was uh, very staunch in his view that, that the election, the 2020 election, was, was essentially stolen from Donald Trump due to voter fraud. Shortly after the primary, he did one of really one of the more dramatic about faces of any candidate across the country, where he said, after research, you know, live and learn. I now believe that Joe Biden won fair and square. Um, you know, since then, he sort of bounced around a bit. Um, you know, he's not the only candidate on, on the ballot um, this week uh, or next week with uh, with that issue. Caroline Levitt uh, running in the first congressional district, she's very staunch that, that Donald Trump, sort of absolutist about that Donald Trump was a legitimate winner of 2020. She hasn't moved a bit. And mm-hmm. it's been interesting. I mean, it's been less of an issue perhaps for, for her because she's been so um, insistent on that uh, than it has for Bolduc, who's kind of kept it in the news um, due to his changing position and sometimes due to his performance during debates. We've been hearing from, from some candidates on the trail that democracy itself is on the ballot. Phil, what does that mean exactly? Uh, well, I mean, it, it builds off of, off of this conversation about you know, candidates like Don Bolduc and the, and the uh, election denial. I, I mean, uh, democracy is more fragile than people realize, I think. And, and a lot of the political science research and writing on this talks about, you know, there are certain core elements that are essential for democracy to function. And one of those uh, elements is this idea of mutual toleration. Like you have to be willing to accept that other people disagree with you, but they um, are legitimate contenders. And, and what goes with that also is the willingness to lose. Um, you know, when you look around the world, this, this idea of sort of loyal opposition comes up in other countries as well. It's the idea that sometimes my ideas are less popular and I lose and I accept that and I will come back to compete in the electoral arena Again, and so when you see, uh, you know, particularly amongst the Republican Party, this increase in the, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, a huge number. I feel like maybe it's a majority of, a lot of the candidates that are out there um, deny the, the 2020 election. Essentially, is this idea of, you know, if they're stepping away from the idea that elections determine outcomes, if they're unwilling to accept that sometimes they lose, uh, then that's, that's um, at the heart of how democracy breaks down. Candidates have to be willing mm-hmm. to, um, to play the democratic game. There has to be a, a, a civil agreement. Yes. Basically, that's how a democracy happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and what goes with that um, is, is, you know, another part of mutual toleration is the a willingness to accept the ideas of the other side. And, and we see, uh, you know, in terms of partisanship and, and demonization and whatnot, we, that's increasing as well, which makes this, uh, you know, a, a dangerous game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh was uh, referring to Don Bolduc on the campaign trail and, and his, his, his changing position here on, on the, the, stole, the so-called stolen election of 2020. I want to play some tape here uh, of of um, of Bolduc here on the trail, we've got that. Just to be clear, you're saying you're claiming that buses full of voters who are not permitted to vote here. You're claiming that that happens in New Hampshire. I am claiming that that is what Granite Staters tell me, and I am saying we need to respond to that. Do you because think we need to verify that information before? I you think say- we need to verify it. That's what I just said. Can you can you listen to me here for a second? I am saying that this is what Granite Staters are telling me, and I think it's valid, okay. and I believe right. it. So, Josh, uh, Don Bolduc there is saying this is what voters are telling him, and, and he's talking about something that has been used before um, in, in Republican campaigns. Can you tell us more about that? Well, the claim that, that buses full of illegal voters um, from Massachusetts as well as other states is something that, you know, has been brought up sort of anecdotally, um, you know, for years, for as long as I've covered politics here. The attorney general's office has looked into claims um, never found any evidence that there are buses full of voters mm-hmm. not permitted to vote here arriving on election day. You know, this is often raised in the in the context of New Hampshire's same-day voter registration. Um, 
But uh, this is something that's persisted. Um, you know, Fergus Cullen, who's a former Republican Party chairman, has offered a $1,000 bounty, I think, to anyone who can say a bus came through of this nature. You know, no one's ever taken him up on this. But, um, you know, these are claims that are made. And certainly when you, people are saying, I mean, it's sort of familiar for anyone who's paid attention to, to former President Trump that, um, you know, sort of unnamed people are talking about it. Therefore, like, I will... Uh, raise that up and kind of legitimize it without thinking, well, do I know this to be true, mm -hmm. that I'm just reporting what I'm hearing from people. It just people. becomes a talking point to use on, sure. on Stump. Uh, what about Democratic incumbents in the federal races, Josh? How have they been talking about the state of U.S. democracy? Well, I mean, they, they've been talking about in terms of uh, certainly with Hassan and, and Chris Pappas, they've been most conspicuous in that they are facing um, people who have made claims about the 2020 election that, that without evidence. Um, you know, Hassan, to a point that Phil was making, she, she said, she says frequently that, you know, when Don Bullock says he won't accept the results of an election, what he's saying is that he, um, he he's unaccountable to you, the voter. And she's making that argument that, that that's eroding, you know, the democratic process. Whether or not, um, you know, voters are moved by that who are not already predisposed to vote Democrat and for Hassan and for Pappas, you know, is one thing to watch for. I yeah, mean, I do think the Republican toleration matter. up yeah. and down the ticket. I mean, Governor Sununu is an interesting example. He will say that, you know, the claims that 2020 was stolen are ridiculous. Um, during the primary, he said Don Boldy derived him as a conspiracy theorist. But, you know, he says now that, you know, if you want to be a single issue voter and, and oppose somebody on the on the grounds of their election denialism, that's fine. But I think they're bigger fish to fry um, inflation, the economy, uh, resisting the Biden agenda, et cetera. Sure. And that's really, I think, the predominant view among Republicans who are willing to countenance the idea that election denialism yeah. is inappropriate. Essentially just shrugging it off. Yeah. This is Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, broadcasting live from Keene, New Hampshire. We're at Keene State College. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Josh Rogers, as you just heard, and Dr. Phil Barker, the Associate Professor of Political Science here at Keene State. And if you've got questions for us, you can always email us at voices at nhpr.org. Now, an NPR Marist poll published this week found that many Americans believe it is better for the government to be controlled by the same party. Now, for a long time, polling showed that Americans saw one party in control of the White House, then another in control of Congress, generally as a good thing. But it does appear that that is changing. Phil, how does polarization and hyper-partisanship play a role in democracy in the U.S.? Uh, well, I mean, I think this is one of the, the the warning signs, the sort of red flags that political scientists and people who study this look at. I mean, you're, you, you, the thing you point out, I mean, historically, um, Americans like the idea of divided government because they think it keeps you know the, each party in check. And what we're seeing now is it kind of goes back to this idea of an unwillingness or a, a fear about the other side being in power. So so um, it, partisanship has been growing. Uh, it's it's well documented for a long time in the United States. Um, but it's more than just partisanship. Partisanship happens in in any political system. What we're seeing is really a toxic level of partisanship, and mm -hmm. it's really this sort of. Uh, um, it, it's really negative partisanship. What we see increasingly is is less about um, I care about you know Republican or Democratic values, and it's more that I, I'm voting against the other side. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to this idea of of uh, an unwillingness or an inability to accept that the other side might have um, you know valid views. And and as we go down that road, that again comes back around to this idea of undermining and eroding democracy. If you think that the other side is illegitimate, um, then then they can't possibly win an election. And you see that rhetoric coming up in, in national elections.
elections, but all over state elections, all across the, the country, the, you know, um, candidates who are saying it's, yeah. you know, it's impossible that the other side could win. Up and down, and sometimes you might even see a, a dog catcher race that could get right. contentious right. at this point. Uh, at the same time, Josh, though, you have heard from voters, I know, this week that, that say they're upset about this this political divide and this increasing hyper-partisanship, haven't you? I, I mean, I have. I talked to voters uh, covering the Senate race, and, and a lot of voters spoke in almost despairing terms about the state of our politics. Let's listen to some of those we voters. We shouldn't be this divided. It's just wrong. And then we wonder why people attack people, right? Why poor, poor Paul Pelosi? It's just wrong. Now, that, that was a woman I spoke with. She had been attending a Don Bolduc event. She was there with her husband. She's like, we always cancel each other out. I tend to vote Democrat. My, my husband always votes Republican. Um, and one thing she said, she said she's planning to vote Democrat. And she said that she, you know, thought and had hopes that, that President Biden could unite this, the country. But she said that she considers him at this point to be as divisive as Donald Trump. And you know, lots of voters I've talked with have described, you know, some frustration with kind of the whiplash of our politics and, um, you know, how much of this delay at the feet of candidates, I mean, to, to Phil's point, um, you know, may, they may be trying to do what they perceive works. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is the demonization of the other side. You yeah. can see that regardless of what party candidate you're covering these days. You know, Phil, these conversations about losing faith in democracy, they, they can feel overwhelming. <laughs> they make you feel hopeless. Um, what would you say to, to, to people who are, you know, looking to take action? Well, I mean, I think that's the that that is the most important thing you can do is is take action. But I mean, I, I I've seen political a lot of political scientists are concerned, you know, cynical yeah. about the state of things. But there are positive signs that people are more engaged than they've been in a long time. Like it, they're not all the engagement always doesn't manifest in a particularly positive way. But people are paying attention to politics. They're aware of the way it affects their lives, and and that's a positive sign. It's just a matter of going out and again, you know, voting. Um, and part of it is about talking to people who aren't like you know, aren't like us, hearing other um, viewpoints and other sides. But uh, I mean, yeah, if you if you want to if you want to strengthen democracy, getting involved, whether that's voting, campaigning, you know, um, you know volunteering, Volunteer, that's the yeah. way to do it. And again, talk. Yep. Talk. talk. Be willing to talk to people that may not hold your views. Absolutely. Get out of that bubble. Josh Rogers, NHBR senior political reporter. Thank you, Josh, for coming in today. You're welcome, Brian. And we also heard from uh, Dr. Phil Barker here, uh, associate um, political science uh, teacher here at uh, State College, as we've been broadcasting live with the New Hampshire News Crap. Thank, thank you to, for coming in as well. Thank you for having me. It is Morning Edition from NHPR. And uh, while you are uh, listening here, don't forget to check out NHPR.org for continuing coverage. And I know, um, uh, Dr. Phil Barker, you've got a podcast. Do you want to let us know how we can hear that? Yeah, I've got a podcast called The Politics Lab. You can find our webpage at thepoliticslab.com, but you can also find us on all of the you know, podcast uh, apps out there. And it's mm -hmm. uh, another political scientist and I who sit down every week and talk about the events of the week and how political science can help make sense of it. All right. Well, thanks for listening for that. Thanks.